Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. Welcome to We Do Recover. I'm your host, Jared Miller. Today, I am not joined by your co-host, medical expert, Dr. Terry Sellers. So we decided to do this on a Thursday, and I'm just going to jump right into Sean. Sean, why are we doing this on a Thursday? I'm going out of town tomorrow. Sorry. It's it's. it's I got my side hustle, man. I got some business to take care of. I got some bills to pay. So, you know, <laughs> when business pops up, I got to take it. All wait right. a second. This is what I got to Wait a second. I'm taking a side hustle vacation from the side hustle that I'm already doing. You're doing a side hustle on top of a side hustle. That's what that's what I'm doing. You see the kind of people Doesn't I hang out with? Like that a side hustle. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, today in the studio we have your producer, the tech titan, Sean Denovan. I push buttons. <laughs> as well as we have my buddy, Randy Palmer. Randy works uh, in the industry. He works for Rise Intervention. He also directs the outpatient portion of Matter in Tooele, a.k.a. our featured guest. Thank you. Randy Palmer, welcome. Glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, this podcast is recorded in sunny St. George, Utah. Episode 24, part one, is brought to you by Steps Recovery Centers. Where addiction ends and healing begins. If you or a loved one needs help, please don't hesitate. Give them a call, even if you just have questions. 801-800-8142. They're amazing people. Here in Utah, all the way from the, the northern border to the southern border, they got you taken care of. All right, well, let's check in and, and uh, do some some new and goods. Randy Palmer, what's new and good in the world of Randy Palmer? Man, that's a that's a loaded question. It's uh, what's new and good in the. I was thinking about this. I listened to your podcast on the way up here. I drove up from Twilla. Thank you. And I was thinking about this. I um, what's new and good for me is this concept of this man. If there's something that for a long time I wanted to do this for a long time I had this this dream, you know. And I had so many people tell me, just forget about it, just do that. Even people that, that I love, that love me. So if there's anything that, um, for me, that's new and good is, uh, I've had a few of those aha moments the last few months. Yeah, yeah. That, that I've just been building towards for 10, 12 years where it just clicked. And I'm like, oh, so this is this and is what it is. Doesn't it feel good to work in your passion too? I oh, mean, you're yeah. passionate about this thing, right? Yeah. And the naysayers, I love the naysayers. I love it because it's like the blind leading the blind, like they're unhappy and so they don't want you to be happy. Yeah. And so they're, they're giving you and no offense to your loved ones that gave you that advice, sure. but right. We all kind of create our own path. So that's awesome. So that's your new and good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, my, my opening message right now. Like you say, it's somewhere, in, somewhere down the road, they decided not to go after theirs. So when somebody approaches them later, they say, no, don't just go after the money or whatever it might be. Mm, I love it, brother. Thank you. Sean Denovan, what's new and good in the world of Sean Denovan besides you're about to go do your hustle on top of your side hustle to make you some money? And, you know, how selfish, right? This podcast isn't the number one thing in your whole world. I'm John? down 22 pounds. Oh, okay. You want to okay. talk about that? Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about that. <laughs> switch gear. Right. Switch gears. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's new and good. I got on the scale by accident yesterday. Okay. Uh, how does that happen? Well, I I was trying. Well, I'm, I'm packing for my trip. Okay. My bag can only be so heavy. So to measure the bag, I, I, I weigh myself, then I weigh myself holding the bag, do some math, you know. Yeah, okay. Anyway, so I got on the scale, and fully clothed with my shoes on and my jacket on, I was at a much lower weight than I would be, you know, fresh out of the shower. I was like, oh, that's good. That's awesome. So 
Did some math there. Anyway, that's my new and good. Sean, you're making me jealous because I, man, a year, so longer than a year ago, I was like 300 and something pounds. I wish I had my driver's license in here to show you the what? picture. It looks like two of me combined into one. And I, I, I did what you're doing now, man. I got my stuff together. Well, anyways, fast forward this Christmas and holiday season, I've relapsed on sugar. And, uh, so now I'm in the process of getting back into my recovery from sugar and carbs. <laughs> so you're looking good though, man. Thank you. Thank you. Right on, right on. All right. Well, Randy Palmer, thank you for being here, man. Uh, thanks for, for having me. I'm, I'm excited about it. Good, good. I can't wait to get to you. All right. Well, let's start off like we always do. Who is Randy Palmer, right? Like we know that you work in recovery and we're going to get to that in part two, like your life in recovery today. What I want to know is who is Randy Palmer? Husband, father, recovering addict, go. Yeah, well, I, I am a husband. I'm married to, my, my wife's name is Brittany. We've been married for 11 years. Shout out to Brittany. Yeah, she's, she's incredible, which is, um, which is a new record for me, 11 years. Before her, my, my, my record was uh, 90, 90 days or something. Being married? No, my longest relationship. Oh, longest relationship. <laughs> so, okay. So, yeah, we've been married for almost 11 years. We have five kids. And, wow. Uh, man, you want to talk about a rush. It's Five kids. It's a rush. And then, yeah, our oldest is nine. So I have three boys and, and two girls. So hold on, Randy. They almost double you guys, right? So, like, yeah. here's when I talk to Mandy, I'm like, babe, because she wants, like, you know, like four kids and i'm like look 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 when you have two there's one per one you get what i'm saying it's an even ratio yeah you guys are knocking at the door of two per one yeah. or no almost three per one sorry i can't do math apparently yeah. well <laughs> she wants one more so i mean sometimes there you, we, you we might go, we go back and forth but. you might just hit that ratio okay i'm sorry go ahead with your kids no they're just it's fun i mean it's it's the it is life man it's yeah. life yeah yeah i can't think of anything else that that I could ever do that would mean as much as, as just being home. Mm, that's being proof that kids. that's proof that we do recover, brother. That yeah. is proof that we do recover. Okay, so that's the man. That's the father. Are you an addict in recovery? I am. I am in recovery. Yeah, I struggled with addiction. Um, it's been a while. It's been fifteen years. Congratulations. Yeah, there's been a few relapses along the road. Um, I didn't dwell on it. I just I just went back to life. You know. I love that. Yeah. I love that. All right. So let's dive into your story. Looking back, you know, as you kind of look at your life in, the, in a previous perspective, what was the lightning before the thunder, right? Or what was the trauma before the addiction manifested? Let's get that. Yeah, it was, um, it was, a, it was a, I think the underlining issue there would be a lack of confidence. Lack of confidence. Lack okay. of confidence, which eventually led into social anxiety. Right. I mean, I'm, I remember, and this, it kind of developed, you know, when you're young, like you were saying the other day in one of your podcasts, we just do stuff. We, we, yeah. cut, we color, we put capes, we run around, we do things. When you're young, you know, I went through that too, where it's just, you're just a kid. And then all of a sudden you start getting, like, getting a little bit older into your teenage years. And you start to process some of those raw emotions of, of developing your identity, right? Yeah. And it just seemed for me, everything I did, I just, um, I just felt insecure about it. I just didn't have the can, confidence. Can you identify a person that was the nice cape dude for you? And listen, I, I just want to say, like, 
that's one thing that I try to get away from. I'm not afraid to be a dork today. Like, you know, if, if somebody's going to judge me, I realize that's their broken mirror that they're trying to project onto me, right? And so I'm, I'm not afraid to be a dork. Yeah. In our little pre-shoot, I called myself the recovery kid or the comeback kid or whatever. I think we should all come up with names. Like, Sean's should be the tech titan. Sellers should be, a.k.a. the doctor. What would your superhero name be? Probably like the lazy eye lieutenant or something. <laughs> I love it, Because I, I had an eye injury when I was two years old. I fell into our basement onto the concrete and destroyed all the muscles in my eye. So I've had this lazy eye my entire life. And I think it's cool because it's unique, man. Yeah. It's better now. I had a, a bunch of surgeries, and they finally got it straightened out. I mean, it's not perfect. Yeah, no. That yeah. would be a cool name, though. I love it. I love it. All right, so can you identify who that was for you? Not not one, not one situation. Like, I can't think of one situation where somebody kind of um, said something that changed it. It was more of a gradual process where I just went from this overly confident little kid with a ton of energy, I mean, bouncing off the walls all over the place, um, to kind of just shriveling up in this little shell, wondering where I fit in, what I... I, uh, for example, I love basketball. It's even today, I, once I get into the gym with my kids, I can't leave. It's always one more shot, one more shot, one more shot, right? <laughs> that might be the sign of addiction, too. And, and my kid knows, <laughs> like, yeah, right. He says 15 more rebounds, but he really means it's like another 30 minutes, right? Right. But I remember being little, and even just as I got older, uh, my, my freshman year in high school, playing basketball, and I was quick. I stole the ball, going for a fast break, dribbled off my knee, out of bounds and I could hear my mom uh, scream and I could never recover. And it's a problem, right? Sports psychology is a huge industry. Yeah. I yeah. never recovered from that. Um, it's something even to this day, I still battle just going in there and just playing, just having fun. Now, why is it your mom was screaming? Cause she was cheering for you? Because she was, yeah, she's a mom. She was, you know, yeah. she's my biggest fan. So she Love was just it. in the crowd, but I heard, you know, it was one of those things you where, nervous. yeah, you I nervous. just, that, that I never connected that link to, you know, I just go out there and be, go entertain people. That's why they're there. Yeah. Everybody makes mistakes. It's just go out there and entertain people. That's really what sports is, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, cool. So, so lack of confidence was kind of some of the traumas at an early age. Was there anything that happened that, that was really right up until the substance abuse identified itself? Yeah. Social anxiety really crept in. I mean, I, it got to a point where I would not, uh, I wouldn't go to English class because we were reading a play. I was terrified to read or speak in front of people. Uh, that's eventually what led me away from, from uh, my church activities and everything else. I just, I avoided it. And it got to the point where I couldn't order food at a restaurant with my family. Wow, that bad. Just, yeah, I'd sit in my truck and wait for people to leave the gas station so I could go in and get a drink. Who is this guy sitting across from me doing a podcast that we, we stream the video live on Facebook, man? You, you're a different yeah. cat today. I transformed, man. God <laughs> transformed me. You know what I mean? You change, things change. I it was it. a, but that was it for me. It was a couple really bad experiences with uh, social anxiety disorder or just social anxiety in general stemming from a lack of confidence. And that happened, that led up until I got my wisdom teeth out and I took a lower tap. That sounds like uh, the addiction or substance abuse disorder. That's what we're calling it technically in the industry these days. Sounds like that's when it started to manifest itself. Yeah, well, to me, that's when I was, that's when I healed all my problems. Oh, okay. Yeah. Let's talk more about that. What did that look like? Well, the 16-year-old kid that can't function, 
um, when you take a, you know, I took something and it, it seemed like it was all better. I suddenly had confidence. I could go speak and read and do things in front of people. And it was like I was fixed. And, and I connected that in my brain. Like, oh, this must be it. This must be what I needed. There's so many people that have come on this podcast and have, have shared that, right? That I think it was uh, oh, Tony Poole that said um, the drugs are the answer and that's the problem, right? Like, <laughs> And I'm not trying to glorify it at all because I'm totally against that. But I'm saying like there's a reason why people, you know, get addicted to these things, whether it's, yeah. you know, trauma from childhood, whether it's social anxiety, right? Like and, and it, for a time, and that's what I want to point out. For a brief time, it seems to be a Band-Aid. Would you agree? Yeah. It, eventually, I, I, then I had a drug addiction and anxiety. Oh, yeah. In fact, worse. The, the, the chemicals only compounded the anxiety. Isn't it interesting that it's almost like uh, like taking out a loan, right? Like, I think, I look back on my addiction. I've done some, some work around this, and it's like, I went through some trauma with deaf people in my family. My dad passed away brother passed away, wife asked me for a divorce. And at the time I was doing the same thing. I was self-medicating to try to get away from that. But when I think about it nowadays, it's like you take out a loan, right? For temporary relief that you end up paying back double in the end. Like you're saying, eventually your anxiety was worse. Yeah. It's crazy, dude. And there is no bankruptcy paperwork. (laughs) Right. I mean, I guess we could dive into that to, you know, some of the stuff John talked about with uh, suicidal thoughts and things, but there is no, it, it has to be paid eventually. You have to do that work. You have to figure yeah. it out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So got the wisdom teeth out. Your brain goes, this helps. How long did that last for? At 16, you said, right? Yeah, I, so I experiment. I mean, I, I just kept, that became my new, it, it, before, before I got into opiates, my, my goal in life, the midbrain, my drive was to stay comfortable, was okay. to avoid people, places, and things that would that would cause me to feel uncomfortable. After that, the goal became finding finding drugs, mm. finding yeah. pills, getting high. So I I pursued that course from 16 to to around 23 years old. That was my that was my daily focus, and, and everything that I worked on was um, just trying to fill that you know, find that first initial feeling that you find, right? That first hit yeah, that you never can. So it was. What did your family dynamic look like at the time? You come from a two-parent background, siblings. Where, where were you kind of raised? <clears throat> where were you living around this time? Yeah, that's a great question. My family was right there. You know, they were, they were all clean. Um, parents were married. My dad owned his own construction company. I was the youngest of, of two brothers and two sisters. They were all concerned about me for the first few years. They had no idea. They were, they didn't know. You know, yeah. you hide it. And you, oh yeah. You go about your business and you do your thing. They knew I had um, anxiety and, and I was insecure in a lot of areas. But so they were all there. They weren't sure really what to do. They uh, would sometimes approach me. They weren't really. They weren't. They weren't sure what to do about it. And um, I would say at the time, my parents didn't have the greatest relationship. So it's not like they had a bunch of spare time to come and uh, work on my emotional challenges. They were just surviving. You know, they had five kids of their own. Yeah, two big things there. Number one, you don't know what you don't know, right? If right. you don't understand this thing, and it's funny, like I used to, I go through phases in my recovery, and it's like I went through a phase where, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell the world it's not a moral, you know, 
it's not a moral defect. It's a disease. And I'm going to shout it from the rooftop. Right. And I'm going to fix everybody. I'm going to fix society's outlook on this. And I realized, man, that's just my insecurity. And, and I'm glad people don't know in a way, because then they, they haven't, trust me, they have their own stuff they're going through. Cause we all yeah. do, bro. We all do. But I'm glad that they had a different outlook. Right. Because that means that they haven't been through this thing. Right. But so, yeah, you don't know what you don't know. And then the second thing, look, I think parents, a lot of times are just trying to do their best, right? Just trying to do their best. Yeah, just get getting by one day at a time, doing what they can to. It's a deep. It's a deep. Um, of course, now looking back, for me, I'm not sure about you, but for me, it was a it was a gift. Oh, for sure. It was a it was a huge gift to my family. We're closer now and tighter now, and we can communicate now more openly and clearly than we ever could have before. You know, it's so now they know, and I think that now it's been a gift for us as other challenges arise that we can. Why do you think that is? Man, I think it's because it pulls out like uh, it, 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 it goes beyond um, like the surface level of living. Okay. Right. We live at this surface, the surface level of schedules and tasks and, and communicating and checklists conversations and and this goes to a deeper it goes to a deeper place where you have to slow down and you really have to listen and you really have to prioritize your time and you have to just narrow in on uh, what's going on here and and really spend the time You, you can't pay for it you can't avoid it you have to you have to spend the time and isn't that a message for families that are struggling with a loved one who's going through addiction, right? I think a lot of times we get caught up in the hustle and bustle of life. And really, when somebody goes through this, it makes you kind of slow down and go, first of all, what's really important? And second of all, once you identify that connection is really important and staying involved in that family member's life, right? Then sometimes you reprioritize some things. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not that I'm, it's not that I'm coming at you saying that, you know, if, if you're a father out there and you're a business owner and your 20-year-old son's living in your basement and he's, he's addicted to heroin, that you're doing anything majorly wrong. Right. It, it's more that it's an opportunity for you to really question your priorities. I mean, I've worked with families where, hey, this is what the family thinks we should do to help young Billy get cleaned up. But uh, dad's concerned if we do that, that the business might go under. Yeah. And he's right, it might. Or he might just be avoiding some of his own growth and potential with his business that he's never confronted before. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. Okay, so let's get back to your story. So you're going through it, you said at 23 is kind of when you started coming out of the woods or when, I mean, what happened at 23, man? Let's jump there. So I like to say that I think I started to grow out of addiction. Oh, different take. Okay. I really do. I Tell, I, me, tell me more. I started to observe um, other people in the community and other people that I knew. And I, I, I could, uh, I had discernment to where I could see that they were, uh, some had more joy and others were just seemed like they were just kind of stumbling through life. Uh, one of the things I always wanted was I always wanted to be married. I always wanted a little boy that I could wrestle with because I had a nephew Yeah, and I wanted to just wrestle with a little kid and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to have a little boy. And I knew that the way I was living, I was in no position at that time to to be responsible as a father the father i wanted to be so i i just started to look and um so so real quick you identified your goals 
didn't match, right? Like your, your habits and your sure. mindset and the patterns, like those, those weren't connecting. Yeah. That's pretty deep, dude. Like not a lot of people, not a lot of people can do that. And I said, and I guess that's why I say I started to grow out of it. Cause I didn't, I, I just was sitting in my comfort zone, right? I imagined I had this bubble around me called my comfort zone. And I like, you know, I had my Mountain Dew and my Tootsie Rolls and MTV, you know, <laughs> and I started to like, I just started to see it that the, 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 the missing link there was me. Yeah. Was, was my daily behavior. So I, then I started to kind of build that, um, that thought pattern to where I said, okay, well then I need to do something different because that's, that's where I want to go. Um, there's a cheesy little saying, if I always do what I've always done, I'll always be where I've always been. And it kind of sounds like that's the conclusion that you came to, right? If I keep doing this, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be able to have the lifestyle of the people I'm looking around, going, "This is what I want." Right. Safe to say. Right. Yeah. Okay. So what happened from there? Well, that started the battle. You know, the the addiction battle, and in, in my in my mind was, I want to get clean. I know I I know that I want to I want to be married. I want a little boy. So how do I do that? Well, I'll try uh, weaning myself off. I tried that for a few weeks. Of course, that didn't work. I'll tell all my friends, hey, don't sell to me anymore. Or I'll tell the doctor, hey, I don't really have pain. Don't give it to me anymore. And then I would go back a month later and say, okay, it really hurts. Give it to me again. And you would. Right. So, you know, there's, that's it started this battle of, man, like I, I, really, I really would like to be clean, but I can't. Yeah. I don't believe I can do it because I've tried it. Yeah. So I'll just use again because... I'm just tired. Right. Right. And I stayed, I stayed in that bubble for some time. Um, what got you out of that bubble? It's the strangest thing, but there was a commercial. I remember seeing a commercial and there was this guy sitting against this wall and there's a rainbow and he said he'd been clean for like seven years and, um, or it was like seven months and it, it just a seed, man, something happened, something planted in my heart. And it's like, that guy has been clean for seven months. Maybe, Maybe I could be clean for seven months. Brother, that's why I do what I do today. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So where did it go from there? Well, then then my, my growing out of addiction evolved to this mindset of, wow, I, I got to shut up. <laughs> okay. I have, to, I have to listen to somebody else. I have to listen to that guy. Yeah. And I just have to, I got to be like a little kid. I got to be like a little two-year-old or three-year-old little boy, like my nephew. And I, if somebody says, go get the ball, I got to go get the ball. Yep. And I just took that mindset, like, okay, that's it. And I, it just snapped in my mind, and I walked up to my parents' house. I said, I got to go to rehab. I said, I've been trying to quit. I can't quit. Oh, well, no, you don't understand. I got to go to rehab. Yeah. So they, weren't, they weren't sure what to do. I left. I walked to my bishop's house, the church leader's house. I said, I got to go to rehab. My parents don't understand. I got I to gotta be like a little kid. I got to go somewhere where people know what the hell is going on so that I can listen to them because yeah. I can't listen to myself anymore. I don't understand it. And I, and I, I, my dad helped me and we checked into matter of behavioral health two days later. Wow. And that was, um, and they, they began the foundation of reprogramming my brain and my thoughts and my beliefs. And so I, that's, that's where the starting point, which we're going to get to in part two of your road to recovery was yeah. through matter behavioral health. Where's that? Where was that at? Mount Pleasant, Utah. Okay. And that was in 2005. Cool. Way cool. Yeah. Man, this has been uh, 
This is got this this episode one or part one has gone by so fast, Randy. Yeah. It it's gone by, buddy. I'm excited to get into to part two. Let's do it. It's the first podcast that's had a timer on it, so I just I feel like I'm moving up in the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing with us. I love that we touched on the family aspect, the family dynamic of it. Join us in part two. We're going to dive more into Randy Palmer's story. We're going to get into his life in recovery today. We'll see you after this 30-second break from our sponsor. You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller, sponsored by Steps Recovery Center and the Hilton Garden Inn. I'm Desmond Lomax, one of the clinical executives here at Steps Recovery, and once you become of the Steps family, you're just a part of the Steps family. A lot of us have overcome substances, overcome addiction, and now we're able to help other people. Second of all, we're also going to help you in a way where you can afford to be helped. Third of all, we're going to give you the same quality that many organizations are charging two to three times, and it's more about you than it is about our organization. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. And we're back. Part two, episode 24 of We Do Recover. I got my buddy Randy Palmer here. In part one, he shared his, his kind of the traumas, the things he went through, the things he struggled with. Uh, before addiction, the things he struggled with, with his substance abuse disorder, he shared with us that he, he basically ended up at matter recovery where he wanted to be around people he could learn from excited to jump back into it real quick though. We want to give a shout out to our sponsor episode 24 part two is brought to you by the Hilton garden Inn in St. George, Utah. It's always sunny and bright at the Hilton garden Inn in St. George, Utah. If you're traveling through Southern Utah, give them a Google search, just type in Hilton garden in St. George, Utah. They have amazing amenities. I mean, how was your stay last night? It was night? great. Yeah, it was perfect. So nice, huh? Yeah, we liked it. Maybe I'll come over after this and we'll sit in that hot tub. I was jealous this morning. Come over tonight when it's when it's cooler. <laughs> yeah. Right on, buddy. Right on. All right. So, so we've gotten to the point now where you basically want to be around people you can learn from, right? You've realized, yeah. I don't know how to do this thing. I need help. And you, you got some help. Tell us what Matter Recovery did for you. And a big thing that I, I like to touch on is at what point did you have what we call in recovery a spiritual awakening? Yeah. <clears throat> well, I have to set the stage a little bit because when I, when I got to matter, I've, my entire life I've been envious of where I was. You know, you, you get clean and you look back and then you see people that are in early recovery and you get kind of jealous of their humility and of their um, openness to life, right? Yeah. As I've got the cleaner I've got, it seems like the more prideful I've got again, mm. you know, and it's, it's been a journey of mine. I remember walking into matter guilty. Yeah. I can totally relate. Can really. you feel that? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I remember walking into matter. Of course, when you first get there, you're high and whatever else, but I remember waking up a day or two and I, I just had this fighter mentality. I, I looked at it like a fight for my life, and I knew that I couldn't listen to myself, so I was going to do everything and anything that somebody else there who was clean told me to do. And um, I, I just remember having this attitude where 
my body reacted and released chemicals and helped me just push right through the withdrawals. And I'd been there for like four days and this kid that had been there 90 days pulled me aside. He's like, where are you hiding it? Where am I hiding what? He's like, you're hiding pills. He's like, nobody walks in here like you walked in here. I'm like, dude, you don't understand. Like this, it was attitude. I'm just here to change. Yeah. And I really was, was, you know, I was 23 years old. I had that, I had been growing, like I said, felt like I'd been growing out of my old lifestyle for some time. I was tired of it. And I knew, I knew now what I needed to do. So I saw it as my opportunity. I saw it as my break. So as I'm, I, I, I feel like it's important I tell that because I, um, I had done things to put myself in a situation where I felt like God could uh, give me a gift. And he did. I'd, I'd been in matter for, it was my third night there. And it was like two in the morning and I had, I'd, I went into the bathroom and I just threw up. I was walking down this long, dark hallway and I felt these this, this darkness, just this stirring of this. This darkness is the best way I can describe it. So I went back to my bed. And I was laying there, and the darkness just got darker and more powerful, and I just got more scared and just more negative. It just I couldn't find those positive thoughts. Yeah, you're consumed by this dark feeling that overcame you. Yeah, I just had these feelings like you're never going to do this. You know, who do you think you are? You you can't do this. Nobody ever does this. You might as well just give up. And I was laying there, and at the, I remember I had this, you remember the old Walkmans? I had a CD oh, player yeah. with some headphones. And I had some church music in there, and I went back to some of my roots when, when I was younger. had some great experiences when I was a little kid with church and activities. And I put those headphones on, and um, I actually had some scriptures there next to my bed, and I put them on my chest, and I just bear-hugged them. Nice. And uh, I, I, in my mind, I imagined that I was in the bathroom, and I was in the corner, and I was being kicked, and I was being jumped by these by these guys. By this darkness. Yeah. Yeah. And I noticed that I was still breathing, and then it, that's when it kind of clicked to me. Okay, if I'm still breathing, then I still have a fighter's chance. So I started to kind of walk up the wall, and I got up to my feet, and I was covering up, and I realized that I could fight. And I was at, I was basically in my mind, I was given a choice. Do you want to fight or do you want to quit? And once I made the choice to fight, it was like instantly, uh, that darkness just vanished. And I just got this warm, anybody who's gone through something like this, you can't explain it. You, there's no words to describe what happened other than I knew that God was real. I knew that he loved me. I knew he had my back. I knew he was proud of me. I knew he'd been watching me. I knew he led me to where I was right then. My entire body was filled with light and joy. I could comprehend things I'd never comprehended before. It changed everything for me. I, I saw in my mind some of my, some of my future, and um, it, it's something that to this day, if if Somebody asks, why do you do what you do? Why do you live the way you do? Why do you go to church? Why, why does any of this matter to you? I'd say, oh, because in 2005, my third day in rehab, I had this experience. <laughs> it changed, that. my entire life changed in what felt like hours and hours of this euphoria, but it was probably only 45 seconds. I don't know. Yeah. It, Dude, I, I so, pre- not, not too many people are willing to even come on to a podcast and, and talk about this thing. And definitely not too many of them are willing to come on and talk about something like that. And I totally understand what you mean when you say like 
people might not understand this and maybe they'll judge me and think I'm crazy because I say that because if you're familiar with my story, I, in 2014, I had an attempt and I was, I was dead for a while until they hit me with Narcan. And I went through something very similar that I've only shared with, I mean, if I had fingers cut off, I could still show you on one hand, the people I've shared this experience with, but it was very similar to that, man. When you were talking, I was getting the chills, getting the chills. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's what I love about addiction. That's why it's a gift. That's why I I really feel like when it's all said and done, we're going to look back and we're going to see that it was a, it was um, an experience that was given for in preparations for future experiences. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. It was, it was, yeah. A uniting effort for families and communities and societies, opportunities to grow. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, man. What a powerful spiritual awakening. Thank you for sharing that. All right. So that began your road to recovery. At what point did you start to kind of say, okay, okay, I'm, I got this. I'm, I'm good. Like, tell me a little bit about that. Even maybe after when you left treatment, right. Was there a moment in time where you felt like, you know, when you're a kid, right. And like, you're learning how to ride a bike and all of a sudden you realize like, dad or mom's not holding on to the seat anymore i'm doing this thing was there a moment like that for you yeah there was so if you remember i my i felt like the main concern that i had when i was younger was the lack of confidence anxiety yeah Yeah. i didn't understand my role on earth with and the connection with my creator so when i was in matter one of the ladies there she's so sweet her name's linda she she knew about my struggles and she she invited me and pushed me to read and to um, do things in the groups to get me to confront what I'd been avoiding for a long time. And I struggled even after I graduated 90 days. I, I struggled and I was, I was again, I was looking at my life and thinking, okay, I need something to focus on. Mm-hmm. I need a target. I need something I can put my energy towards or I'm just wandering aimlessly. I've said it a hundred times, the best defense is a good offense. Yeah. You got to have something that you're pushing towards. Okay, right. Sorry. So no, you're good. So I, I put my I put my mind on a mission to go f- to serve a mission for the church, LDS church. Yeah, the, the, yeah. We have LDS people church. from other states. Right. That don't. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So I put, and that was my target, and it was um, it's something I worked on. And it was a struggle, and even to this day, I'm not sure how it happened. <laughs> somehow, <laughs> power, man. Yeah. Somehow the 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 bishop at the time was just like, get this kid on a plane. He was inspired. He just knew if I could get him on a plane. So I would say the first, that, that moment for me came when I was actually, um, I was giving a talk in church in Arkansas, and I, I got up there, and I just opened my mouth, and it, everything that I'd been holding in for years just started to spew out. And I, they gave me a card and told me I needed to sit down. I took all the time. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't nervous. I wasn't concerned. I just was being me, just being free and, and able to free. And, and I would say that's the first time it kind of clicked for me. Like, okay, uh, to me, being sober and recovering yeah. is, is, is expressing yourself as being yourself uh, confidently. And um, that's despite that's what other people clicked. will think. Yeah. Yeah. Right, because that was the social anxiety. You were worried, what well, what are other people going to think of me yeah. even before the substance abuse started? So I love, that's beautiful, man. You came out of this thing, and it seems like not only were you able to, you know, get clean, 
but you were able to find that confidence yeah. and that kind of look, this is who I am. Yeah. Take it or leave it. There's so many people in the world. I'll resonate with somebody. Somebody's going to like this. Right. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So where did it go from there? You find the self-confidence on your mission. Yeah. I would say that's where it solidified my recovery, you know, two years of just, uh, just helping people and serving people and, and just putting yourself and your own, your own needs kind of on the back burner. And when I got home, um, uh, my wife and I, we'd been riding for a while, so we, I was able to get married fast, and then I had my little boy, and, and the rest is history. I had that little boy. Hold on. I, I just want to point this out. You were writing with, with pen and paper back then, right? Yeah. Most people don't do that these days. It's all, it's all yeah. this. And there's something magical about that, right? Absolutely. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Right on. So married, right? How long until you had your first son? So we were married. We had a we were married almost a year, eleven months, twelve months. So it was fast. Yeah, um, and then from that point, you know, something kind of kicks in too. When you, um, when I, after I saw my son, something kind of started to kick in, and and I'd always since I had been to rehab, I'd always wanted to do something in the addiction recovery field, and that's when it kind of started for me. Um, but once my what son, what were you doing before you worked in? In the field of substance abuse. So I was in, uh, my dad owned a gravel pit. Yeah, yeah, were in trucking. That's right. He owned a construction company. Yeah. So I, and and then once my son was born, I immediately defaulted to that. I moved to North Dakota and I bought a semi truck and I hauled oil into Canada for a few years. Got to have money. Right. Right. And that's, that fatherly instinct kind of took over. But every day I'd be driving in that truck and I'm like, man, there's, this isn't it. (laughs) There's, Our stories have so many similarities. There's got to be something else. Yeah. So I, I started listening to podcasts and uh, wanted to become a life coach. And, man, that started, a, I would say, finding my path to, to working in addiction was harder for me than getting clean. Was it? Yeah, it was an emotional and a very social. Like, I started making videos and putting them on the Internet. I haven't made videos about my personal struggles with pornography and put them on the Internet. You're vulnerable, though. Yeah, I just was, I just, again, that surface level has never been enough for me. Like, I needed to go deeper. I needed to be more real and be like, hey, when I was in rehab, I learned these techniques, and I've been using them, and it's helped me in every aspect. Yeah. And I I just started to just put myself out there and try different coaching programs and different stuff. And I've always wanted to work with Matter ever since I went there, and that's finally happened. Um, I run a family group with them. And and then I was eventually that all of that, that struggle and that emotional challenge led me to, you know, the Arise Network to do interventions. I always thought that'd be so cool. You know, I always saw myself like in a suit with a briefcase getting on an airplane, like CIA, (laughs) you're traveling to New York and you're just going to go meet with this guy and you're going to go in there and just. It's all kind of on the down low, right? Because the anonymity. (laughs) I get you. I get you, man. And there was also this other driving portion of it that I think it's going to be cool. I believe there's, I believe that there's life after death, and I think it's going to be cool when I when I come across people I worked with, to embrace them and be like, yeah, we we confronted it, yeah, we so hit head on the challenges that we struggled with. There was a moment that changed in my life, and I've shared this before. I'm going to share it again. I I uh, had a couple years putting this thing together, my road to recovery. But I was still very mentally broken. I was sober sick. Okay, I was sober, but I was still pretty sick. And I went to a bishop. And I was like, bishop, man, 
I've lost my, my like I, in the pity pool, right? I'm like, my dad's passed away. My brother's passed away. My wife asked me for a divorce for good reason, right? Like I was a very selfish person in addiction. I don't blame her at all. I've lost everything, man. Why? Like I thought God loved me. I thought God was merciful. I like, what have I done to, to, you know, be in the absence of his presence? And he said something that was crazy. It blew my mind. He said, Jared, when you get to the other side, maybe God will say to you, congratulations, you overcame that obstacle. Yeah. But how many people did you bring with you? How many people had that same struggle? Did you go back and grab their hand and say, come on. Look, I I, I, I love metaphors, right? So I'm going to do this. I think of like addiction as like the subway of life. Okay. Like we're, we're all down there in the subway of life and, and we're just trying to take it one day at a time. There's not a lot of light. The air's sticky and smoggy and gross, right? We can smell the sewage. And at some point we realize there's the exit, but there's a long stairway to get out of this thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. And look, guys, hopefully like us, not only can we get out and go to the top and get a breath of fresh air and go, we made it. But then it's like that Bishop said to me, how many people did you bring along with you? So that's why I do this. I'm hollering down, guys, life's sweeter up here, right? Yeah. Come on, let me help you. Let me guide you. Let me show you the way. I'm trying to make recovery cool because in the movies, they, you know, they glorify substance abuse and make it seem like it's cool, right? And I'm like, that isn't, that isn't cool, right? Going dirt bike riding's cool. Yeah. Raising a family's cool. Going boating's cool. Like, this is real life. Yeah. This isn't the movies, man. Yeah. Does that make sense? Sorry, yeah. I kind of went off on a spill. And it's sustainable. It's, it's sustainable. But I get it. That was powerful for me. And I have the same belief, dude. It's going to be cool to get to the other side and, and humbly go have, you know, be able to look around and go, man, I had some kind of impact on this world yeah. that other than financially, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, that's, that's going to be a beautiful day. And going back to when you said what's new and good with, with Randy Palmer, that's, that's basically it. Anybody who tells you there is there, just just go for the industry, just go for the stamp and the the plates or whatever it is, and don't worry about it. Collect a paycheck. I understand that a man should work, right? You know, I would never turn down work to chase my passion. I would work as I'm chasing my passion, but there is there is something there, and it's real. When those two worlds collide, it's like that is serenity. Yeah. Right? Like when you can make a paycheck doing something that you love to do that you would do yeah. anyways. I know it's corny. I know it's cheesy. It's hallmarky, but I'm going to say it. If I was a billionaire, I would still do what I do today. Yeah. Like in the fact that I get paid to do it, that's great. And I still want to continue to get paid because I got bills just like everybody else. Right? right. But like that's, it's amazing. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be, you know, substance abuse. I, I tell people all the time. Not a lot of people know this, but I go around and I do speaking engagements and I tell people like, find your passion, whatever it is for you. Yeah. Right. God gave me this gift. And so this is mine, but whatever that is for you. So I love that. Thank you for sharing that, man. Yeah. Okay. So, sorry, we kind of got off, off track. So as far as what does Randy Palmer do today when he's not working at Arise or at Matter? Like, what is it? You got the weekend or you got some time off. What is it that you do today? What's your life in recovery? Yeah, I'd like to say I just sit home and, and hold the kids. And You got five kids, so yeah. you got a plan for that, right? I do, but I like to move. I have a hard time just uh, sitting there. I I'm, I'm you know go visit my dad. I'm really into um, older Ford trucks. I like the bump side Fords. It's kind of a, a unique niche passion of mine. I really like to work on those. Like we passed one driving here. I don't know if you saw my, my neck. I turned around. <laughs> you broke your neck on me? Yeah, I like those. <laughs> I, I like playing basketball. And then it's just there's really no other time. 
it's just family. Um, uh, I, I really, I really feel like that, that core for me though, that thing that I'm, that, that thing for me, other than my family is working with other families and, and doing uh, the intervention process. It's something that keeps me up at night. It, it drives me and it, it, I, I, I think it is the missing link when it comes to recovery for a lot of families. What you're talking, what you're talking about, we're big on right three three domains. I believe in four, but what you're talking about is, so we have the bio, psycho, and social. You're talking about the social aspect of it, dealing with families, right? And then I'm just gonna throw out there, I believe in the spiritual, which I'm pretty sure you do too, right? Mm-hmm. You're talking about the social aspect of it, working with families. What does that look like for you? What does that do for you? Yeah, well, it it. <laughs> Again, you know, it's going back to you asked earlier, what was the dynamic in my own family? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you brought up earlier uh, rock bottom and how I have a different approach to rock bottom. And I don't like the term. It To me, it seems passive. It seems victimized. Like there's nothing. There's this common belief that people say that there's nothing you can do until they hit rock bottom. And to me, that's formed from an, uh, a weary heart. I'm try, I've tried so many times. I can't afford, I can't emotionally handle getting hurt anymore, so I'm just going to believe that there's nothing I can do until they hit rock bottom. I'm going to sit back and watch. And mm. in, in the Arise model, the way it works, it's their strength in numbers. It's an intervention, but it's not like the TV show. There's, there's different <laughs> models. Imagine that. Real life's not <laughs> like the TV show? So the, the TV show intervention, that's called the Johnson model. And that's, okay. it's, you know, it's completely different. You lie to them, you go in, you surprise them. It's a one-time deal. You're going to rehab. Uh, with the Arise model, it's a, a minimum of six months contract that I work with a family. And I'll go into their home and we'll invite everyone, including the addicted loved one. We'll say, hey, you're invited to come to a meeting next Tuesday. And we're just going to have a general discussion about the health of our family. And we go in there and I set a goal with everyone in the family because everybody it's the family's addiction. Right. It's not just Billy Bob's addiction. That's so true. Right. And it's just something that uh, when you unite when you shift the family perspective and you and you put the focus on the family's strengths, because yeah, there may be an addiction in that family and there may be struggles in that family, but there's overriding and more powerful strengths and, and skills that that family possesses that are stronger than any addiction, mm-hmm. any natural disaster, disaster, anything that will ever happen. That Those traits have been passed down for hundreds of years and that family still possesses those traits. Yeah. Now there's an addiction there, but if we can tap into those trades and if we can get the family consistently meeting with a united message of hope and recovery while strategically applying some boundaries with uh, an, an increasing resources at the same time, patiently over time. Uh, what I love about the Arise Network and the model is I don't have to be the expert. I don't go in there as a guy with 14 degrees saying this is what you should do and I'll do it. Right. Because if I do that, then I'm responsible for the results. Yeah. The family chooses what they want to do. It's a family council. The what my uh, it's family council recovery, C O U N C I L. So it's a council where the family discusses the family. what they want. Yeah. And they set the goals. They move the direction of the family. And if that person chooses to go into treatment, guess where he's coming guess where he's going once he comes out of treatment? Right back. To the right same, back yeah. to the family. So if they have right. the united front, they're all on the same page, right? Like you're taking them, putting them somewhere safe. Everybody's yeah. getting better. And then they're returning somewhere that hopefully is a little safer, a little better, right? Yeah. Versus if it's, if we just say, look, it's you 
what was the name you used? Billy Bob or yeah. if it's just you, Billy Bob, you, you're the problem. You got to get better. Go right. Well, maybe Billy Bob does go and get better and he comes back and it's not a healthy environment. Right. And so he's going to go, what do you think he's going to do? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, man. I love that. So we got about two minutes left here. Oh, this has been fun, man. This has been I awesome. Like so last question for you. What does we do recover mean to you? So if somebody said, tell us what that means in, in your world or in your words, what would it be? Yeah, for me, I think of the families that I've worked with and we do recover. First of all, it, it would start with, I like it, we. Yes. We do recover. It's, it starts with the basis of what does success look like? Because when I go in with the family, they say, can you get my son clean? No, yeah. I can't. But let's talk about what success looks like. Could I help you find 100% peace with the outcome of life, regardless of what happens with your son? Ooh, powerful. Because if we can do that, if we can set a basis for what success looks like in your family, what's, what that standard is, and then if we can work on that, it's, not, it's no longer about somebody else's choices. Yeah. It's about your choices. And if you can own that, if everybody in that unit can own that, that, re that family recovers. It yeah. changes that family forever. That's a different scenario. Even if there's still drug use with Billy Bob, because the family understands what, what success looks like independently for them and what their role is in that process. Yeah. And they have the strength and the support of the rest of the family. The family becomes a support network. It's, it's an incredible model. It's, it's inspired by God, and it's something that I'm, I, I'm, I'm just lucky to be a small part of it. Man, and we were lucky to have you on. Randy Palmer, this guy is awesome. Thank you so much for Thank coming you. on, man. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Be sure to tell your wife we appreciate it. And Thank have you. fun in St. George this weekend. Okay. We'll Thank you guys it. for listening. You can find Thank us on you Facebook. For joining us today all major on podcast platforms. Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. This has been a production from a podcast studio.